Father, we, we pray for your help as we turn to your word. Uh, we know that uh, in and of ourselves, Lord, we, um, we lack understanding. We, we can't figure things out uh, uh, only on our own. We, we need your spirit. We need your help to open our eyes and our hearts and our, and our minds and our ears and, and just help us to be humble and teachable and contrite under uh, the authority of your word. It, it has authority because it's from you. And so, Lord, help us to be humble. Um, help us to not assume that we know everything. Uh, help us to, to not be... Uh, um, uh, so f- filled, filled with ourselves that we would not take the, the posture of a learner uh, and, and, and sit uh, at your feet as, as we hear from your word uh, insofar as it's rightly taught. And so God, help us. Uh, we pray for every church across the city that is seeking to be faithful to your word and to the gospel. Would you bless not only our time, but their time, that Jesus would be made famous across the whole city, not for any church's name, but for Jesus' name. So would you do that here and, and across uh, every neighborhood in, uh, in this area? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So in, two, in 2008, um, I did something that I had never done before. Uh, I recorded uh, an album, um, even though I can't sing. Uh, I recorded an album, and I recorded it for uh, my uh, then-girlfriend and now wife. Um, she's not here. Okay, well, I'll give a new illustration. Oh, you're right there. Oh, great. Great. I was like, wait. I have another announcement I can't see, and so later today I'll be going to the, the eye doctor. Um, so she's right there. And so, so I recorded a, an album for her, um, and I cannot sing. And so I had to use auto-tune, uh, and so I did that and spent my whole winter break uh, in writing songs, recording songs, using auto-tune, and it, it was actually a concept album. You can ask me more about it later, uh, but it's one of, one of, we'll play it after service, uh, and you'll never come back. And it was, a, it was one of the most exciting, the fun things that I did, um, that I've done creatively, and I, and I really enjoyed it, and she actually really enjoyed it, which begs the question, how could she enjoy that when I cannot sing a lick? And, and auto-tune can help a little bit, but it, it does not cover a, a multitude of faults. And so, um, so you know, I recorded this album uh, for her to express my love and devotion, and, uh, and she dug it, and I can't sing a lick, and it brings us to this question, like, how is that enjoyable? Like, wh- why would she enjoy that? Well, one, is comical. Uh, two, it, it was me kind of embarrassing myself for her. But, but third, we have this understanding about music and song that even if you cannot sing, one of the highest expressions of joy, delight, and celebration is, is singing. Even if you cannot sing, we understand that music communicates something that ordinary language cannot. And so for me to express my love through song to her, even though it sounded like nails on a chalkboard, she understood what that meant. And that's the power of singing. This is why if you're ever around parents or family and you walk into a room and, and you, before you get into the room, you just hear someone kind of singing, you're like, you know, like they're singing to themselves, you know they're in a good mood. You know, they're in a, you, you know things, there's delight, you know there's enjoyment when someone who cannot sing is just over there carrying a tune. That's the power of song, which leads us to even think about the life of the church. We think about why, why do we sing? Maybe you've grown up around church. Maybe church is new to you, and so you're literally asking that question. Like, literally, I was just thinking that two seconds ago. Why do we sing? Or, or you've grown up around it so much, and you've never had it explained. And you, so you're, you're like, oh, I never thought about that. Why, why do we spend so much time singing? Well, singing is an expression of delight and enjoyment. And as we sing, actually something is happening to us. As we look at Scripture, you actually see about 400 or so descriptions of singing, about 50 uh, or so explicit calls, commands for God's people to sing. You hear, uh, make a joyful noise before the Lord, which doesn't mean you have to sing well. It just means whatever noise you can make, just make it. 
this call to singing and praise. And, and, and why, why do we sing? Why do we sing? Well, we sing because praise is really the only fitting response to what God has done. That's why we sing. We, we sing because praise is the only fitting response to why, to what God has done. Here's what, we, uh, here's what we know about singing in, in, in 2016 uh, from, from some di- different studies, or 2017, excuse me, uh, from some different studies, that, that group singing is a natural antidepressant. That group singing strengthens the immune system, that singing releases endorphins into the system, which lowers stress levels uh, and diminishes a word that I'm not going to be able to pronounce, cortisol. Um, it, it improves mental clarity, lessens feelings of depression and anxiety. According to, to one study, uh, uh, therapeutic and satisfying sensations can be produced when the sound of vocal uh, instruments are of even mediocre quality. That's, inc- that's encouraging, right? This is the, we, we, we can see some of the, the, the scientific reasons for why singing matters and singing is important, but what we're going to see from the text today as we look at the story of Exodus, we're going to see a, an even bigger reason than all those other great secondary benefits. We're going we're to see that praise is the only fitting response to what God has done for us. Exodus is going to teach us this because as we've seen the people of Israel enslaved for 430 years, God has delivered them through sign and wonder of his grace, of his mercy, of his faithfulness. He has lifted them from oppression and slavery and now freed them to live free so that they can serve him and bring a blessing to the whole world. And their response to their freedom, the moment as they're set free, their response is praise. Let's look at the text. Exodus 15. You can uh, open your Bibles, flip on your phones, or simply just uh, look up at the screen. Exodus 15, their response to what God has done for them. 15.1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk into the sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. To your people pass, O Lord. To the people pass by whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. This place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, this sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. 
For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after, with her, after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is the song of praise that the people of Israel sing as God delivers them from the oppression and slavery of Pharaoh. We know that they had been enslaved. God sent plagues and signs and wonders to free them, and that, that, that Pharaoh had sent his army, his military power, uh, the biggest uh, power in the world after them, and God had, had, had swallowed them up in the sea and had sent his people free, and so they rejoice. They have just seen the waters come up. They have just passed through. They have just looked back and see the waters enclose on their evil oppressors. They, they see them. They see them sinking to the, to the bottom of the sea like lead. They see God giving justice to the evil that they have done uh, against him and his people, and they praise. They, they rejoice. This is 430 years of oppression and brutality and crying out to God. This is the moment where the court comes off and everything just, uh, just, just flies forth. This is, this is bottled up praise being unleashed as they see the power and love and faithfulness of God. God saves them. We look at verses 9, 9 through 10, the enemy, this, this gives us insight into what Egypt was thinking. The enemy is thinking, we have got the power of the world. We've got chariots. This is like drones then. They've they got chariots. This is the height of military power. We've got them, and we're coming for them. We are coming. We are sending our army and our legions. And verses 9 and 10 give us insight into what Egypt was thinking. They were taunting. They were thinking, we're going to go capture them. They got away, but we're going to go get them. We're going to enslave them. We're going to bring them back. We're going to brutalize them, and we're going to keep our workforce. These people are not going to serve their God. They're going to bow to us. They're going to bow to Pharaoh. They're going to bow down, not to the Lord, but to the self-exalted, deified God of Egypt. They're thinking, we win, but the Lord saves. Against the military might of the oppressor, the Lord saves. And what do the people of Israel, what do they do in response? Do they pledge devotion? Do they give sacrifices? Do they make a vow, I'm going to be this? They just praise. They celebrate. They, they, they rejoice because praise is the only fitting response to what God has done for us. It's the only fitting response. Now, Miriam, I think, gives us a great picture of what was happening. What does Miriam grab? She grabs that tambourine and she leads the way. She leads the way. Prophetess of the people, she leads the way in praising alongside Moses. And I want you to just imagine, just imagine this scene. Imagine being oppressed for 430 years and then being freed. And on that walk to freedom, what type of joy you would have. I mean, this is, this is 600, if we're just counting, counting some of the population, 600,000, but if we think of all of it, maybe we've got too many people there walking to freedom. Can you imagine the sounds of praise of two million people being set free by God? The call and response, the dancing, the joy, the celebration of people tasting freedom and the love of God that they have not seen in centuries. This is what's happening. And praise is the only fitting response to what God has done. When you know God has fought for you and you've won, he has won for you against all odds, despite your lack of deserving it, your deepest desire is praise. 
See, the people of Israel had seen, if we go back to the, to the narrative even of the Passover, where, where God brings judgment on the whole land, the people of Israel understand that they do not deserve, even though they were oppressed, they do not really deserve any love or faithfulness. They don't, they don't deserve anything that God has done for them. They're really not all that better than the Egyptians. They're really on the same plane, but God has been gracious to them. So they understand that this deliverance that we've got, which we desperately needed, we didn't earn it. We didn't do something for it. We didn't achieve it, but God has given it. And so their desire is to praise. Now, what does this mean to praise? To praise is, if we look at the scripture and some of the phrases for it, this is, this is singing. Some of it is, is kind of like oriented towards singing, which is literally what we see in the text. But it's really just the idea of celebrating and, and, and pointing to and showing off the, the goodness of, what, of, of God and, and what he's done. Some of the language and the idea of, of praise as we, look through, uh, as we look through scripture, it's this idea of, of, of even just like kind of shooting forth and pointing out the bigness and the greatness of something. That, that we're pointing it out with the way that we're acting, with the way that we're celebrating. Some of the phrases for praises is, is the idea of making a loud noise, which I, th- I think Miriam was probably doing that with the tambourine. There were probably some loud noises. This idea of making a loud noise, this idea of almost looking foolish in celebration for something because what you have just seen or experienced is so good. It's this idea of praise. And when someone is absolutely awed or delighted or possessed by something, they celebrate. That's what we do. You can just watch people watch sports, right? You ever want to see someone who's uptight kind of do some kind of embarrass themselves? Just watch them, watch them watch their favorite sports team if they like sports or whatever their favorite thing is and just let them, let them see something that was good. They will embarrass themselves. Even the most sophisticated, put together person, they, at, at least they're going to give you, a, oh, yeah, they're going to at least do something like that. They're going to they're gonna embarrass themselves a little bit. I saw this recently online with a, um, with a writer, uh, kind of writer-scholar uh, person, and, and uh, they tweeted something and said, I'm not good at this, but, but, uh, but it's my wife's birthday, so I wrote this poem about her love and how great she is, and, and put it online, and you know, I was like, yeah, you know, you're, you're not really a good poet, but you were willing to embarrass yourself to express, to express your love, right, to celebrate this, this very thing. We saw this with the, with the Cubs, a, a baseball team. Um, from Chicago, you may have heard of them. They won the World Series, I think, at first time in 100-something years. And uh, they had, I mean, you just look that up when you get home. You want to see people celebrate. I mean, this, this was a celebration, capital C, right? And, and, and it was because of uh, a, a game with, with a ball and a stick <laughs> and dirt and running <laughs> in the shape of a diamond, right? I mean, and grass and a box with people and popcorn and crackers, right? This, it, it, it really, like baseball is great, but baseball is not, baseball's not that great. But, but there's, there was something about that longing, waiting. There was something about it, it hit a chord with people in such a way that, that they lost it. There was no, there was no I'm going to taper down my enthusiasm. I'm, I'm going to make sure I look sophisticated. I'm an enlightened. There was, no, this, this is incredible. And so I'm going to dance. I'm going to sing. I'm going to hug this person that I don't know and sit, right? There's just this sense of awe and celebration. And, and really, when we even read this text, we get that sense because you look at some of the phrases and the parallelism, even in the first couple of verses. I will praise. I will exalt. He's my strength. No, he's my song. He's my salvation. He's a warrior. No, the Lord, there's just this sense of this is who God is. This is what he's done. I got to celebrate. I don't even know what I'm going to say. The Lord has done it. And so there's this rejoicing. 
this sense of it's, it's like a, a two-liter bottle of soda. This has happened to you where someone shook it up and you're getting ready to open it and now it's going all over the place. You can't stuff it back in, can you? It, it's got to come out. And it's the same sense. Well, when we have seen what God has done, when we have seen who he is for us, it is like that bottle of soda. Praise can't, you can't just help but let the praise flow. When we understand who he is and what he has done for us, you, you can't contain it. It just, it has to come out. Because it's so exciting, it's so delighting, he's so good, you see it and you treasure who he is and what he's done. What this, what this means for us is, this idea that praise is the only fitting response when we see what God has done for us, this means that our praise and our joy is really in, in, in proportion to our heart-level understanding of God's grace for us. If praise is the only fitting response to what God has done for us, it, it, it then follows that, that, that our praise and our joy in the Lord is in proportion to our heart-level grasp of God's grace for us. Now, we know this ebbs and flows, but this still stands that our praise and our joy is in proportion to our grasp of God's grace for us. Think about this with your employer. Uh, When you had a job or if you have a job or or whatever, just uh, if you don't have one, just imagine you have one. And if you don't have one, we'll help you get one. Talk to me after. We'll help you. We'll find one for you. Legal. (laughs) Sound like a drug dealer. My new hairstyle, you guys thought, Claude's, <laughs> right? There's a lot of things that could happen. There's a lot of things that could happen in America today, you know, sadly. So, so you don't, ha- so if, so imagine employed and you're getting the check. When you get the check for the way, for the hours that you worked, right? And imagine it's not, it's not uh, the direct deposit days that actually hand it to you. When you get that check handed to you, imagine that. You, you're not, you're not hugging, uh, kiss on the cheek, celebrating the, 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 your boss that gave you the check. Why? You, you work for it. You, you need to get the check. You might not even say thank you. I'm not going to thank you. I did the work, right? You, you might not even say thank you when the check is handed to you. Now, imagine another point in time, maybe the, ne- the next pay period, because uh, you gives you the check, you look down on it, and it's three, it's three times what, what you normally get. Say, what's going on? Say, hey, we just appreciate, we know you didn't do any extra work. We just, just appreciate you. We'll start paying you three times what you really deserve to earn. Now, now what's your response going to be? Yeah, there's the praise. There's the celebration. Because the gap between what you are getting and what you deserve is larger than the normal time when you get the regular pay. And so that gap between what you get and what you deserve, that gap is the measure and amount and the depth of your praise. It's that gap. So do you, do you see where I'm going, right? And so when, when, you, when you don't grasp the fact that God fights for you, that God has not let your sin or your mistakes be the last verdict on your life, the more you understand that, the more you praise because you see more clearly the gap between you and God, what you deserve, and what God has done and what God will do. You, that gap becomes bigger, and so your praise becomes deeper. You begin to celebrate. You begin to sing. You begin to rejoice because you understand grace. And that's what the people of Israel are doing here. They're going bonkers in praise because they have had 430 years of oppression and they understand really that we don't deserve to be saved, but God is going to do it because God is God and he's gracious. And so they praise. 
The same God that is saving Israel here by grace saves us by grace through the work of Jesus, through Jesus' death in our place, through Jesus' sacrifice over sin, Satan, and death. He brings deliverance and mercy and salvation and forgiveness in the same, it is the same God showing his power in the same way, setting that pattern so we could see Christ. And so we have just as much, if not more, reason to praise like this because though we have not been set free necessarily from this physical entrapment that they had, we have been set free spiritually. God has given grace upon grace to us. So we have reason to praise. Just as Israel was in bondage to Pharaoh, we are in bondage to the penalty of our sin. Just as freedom comes through the Passover lamb that God gives for Israel, freedom, grace, mercy, salvation, restoration with God comes through the sacrifice of Jesus, who is called the the lamb of God. We, we see the parallels. It is the same God bringing redemption and salvation for his people. And when God, through Jesus, gives mercy to you, the only real fitting response is to celebrate, is to praise, is to rejoice. Right? This, is, this is why we think about this phrase, where we want to be gospel people shaped by what Jesus has done. Gospel people are a people of praise. Right? People who receive what they don't deserve are a people of celebration. People who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good are a people who rejoice. Right? The church of Jesus is many things, but at its heart, if the church is built on what Christ has done and salvation is not by works, but it's by grace to those who are incredibly disqualified and undeserving, then that means the church is a place of celebration. Now, maybe you've, you've never seen that before. Sometimes the church feels like a place of funeral, where it's like, yeah, I thought Jesus rose from the dead. Like, <laughs> Well, in here, I don't know if you've been to those those churches, you're just like, man, it's like they don't have any good news. You come in and you look, you're like, man, the good news must not be real because ain't nobody, no one's happy here, right? But if we understand the gospel, it doesn't mean those scriptures call for lament, they call for weep, it calls for a lot of things. But at our core, it also calls for celebration. The good news leads to great praise. It comes down to our heart-level grasp of that. Day by day, which ebbs and flows, which shows our need to be anchored and remember what Jesus has done. I want you to think about this. Think about the, uh, the, uh, our, our depth of praises in proportion to our grasp of grace and praise is really the only fitting response to what God has done. Let me, let me, talk, let me kind of walk through a little bit why, why that can be hard for us to actually embody. Um, w- one of the reasons is we don't celebrate something that, we, that we're not really in awe of. Uh, the, the other reason is sometimes we value our intellect over our emotions. That's, that's another challenge for us, um, especially in a city like this with a lot of ed- educated people, sophisticated people, a lot of colleges, things like that, right? Sometimes we value our intellect over our emotions, but, and, and we don't want to make the mistake of moving to emotionalism, and so we, we never rejoice, we never celebrate, we never get excited. Well, that's a mistake too, right? God, God actually wants our whole person, intellect and emotions. He wants all of that. Sometimes we don't celebrate praise because we say, I don't feel like it. I don't want to be inauthentic. Well, just apply that grid to different things in your life, right? I don't feel like loving my kids, so I'm not going to love them right now. Right? I don't feel like taking care of this, so I'm not going to do it. Right? Sometimes the feeling follows the right action. And so we need to engage in the action because we know that the feelings will follow. Our feelings are not the compass guide to our lives. At least not if we're trying to follow Jesus as best as we can. And some of the reasons we don't celebrate praise is because we don't want to look silly. We don't want to embarrass ourselves. We don't want to look like a fool. But that's exactly what celebration is. 
That's exactly what it means to rejoice, is to look foolish for something because that something is so incredible that you don't care what you look like. That is the essence of celebration. That is the essence of praise. That is the essence of Miriam leading the people. She's saying, hey, maybe, who knows what Miriam's like? Maybe she's the most stoic, introverted person of all time. But she's like, you see what God just did? Give me the tambourine. People are like, she's getting the tambourine. It's getting real. And she's like, I'm going for it. It's this sense of I'm going to make a loud noise. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to exalt and glorify God because of what he's done. And I really don't care what it makes me look like because what he's done is so good. That's really the essence of praise. And when you think about this, we talk about irreligious people, religious people become gospel people. If, if we're religious, religious people always want to look respectable. So, so they will never celebrate. They will never rejoice. They will never dance. They will never look foolish because they're always worried about how do I look? Because we, that's, and that's any of us when we slip into this idea based on what I do, then God accepts me, which therefore means religious people will never celebrate and rejoice the way we see people rejoicing over God here because we're concerned with what do I look like? How will I appear? Right? Religiously, people, right, if we think of what I do, then earns me God's acceptance, they will also never celebrate because when they're doing well, they, they won't be as desperate. Like, I needed grace. It's like, well, I, I'm, I understand I need grace, but I also am kind of better than other people, so I don't need, I'm not excited about it. But gospel people understand they bring nothing to the table, and everything they take away is a blessing and grace from Jesus, and so they celebrate. They praise. So what this means, what this means for you is this is what is your grasp of the gospel of grace? Not just uh, overall, but I mean even right now. Because this ebbs and flows. Right now, what is your grasp of the gospel of grace? Do you, do you see what Jesus has done that just as the Israel goes free through the work of, of, of God to, to move the waters, we go free in mercy, grace, forgiveness. The love of God is poured over us through the work of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's who we are, not by our merit, but by faith in him. And when we grasp that, desire to praise wells up in us. Joy wells up in us. Celebration wells up in us. So what is your grasp of grace now? This isn't a personality thing. It's not a demeanor thing. This is a response to the greatness of God thing. So I want to encourage you to, to even think about it like this. Is going from death to life, through Christ, a reason to praise. If your mind says yes and your heart says, mm, I'm not feeling it, it's okay. Let, let what you know to be true, let that lead the way. Your feelings will follow. This is how you get joy in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord as a pattern and way of our lives when we remember and reflect on what Christ has done. Now, I want to... Uh, Recall a, a saying that, that Jesus gave us as we think about that our praise is in proportion to our grasp of grace. Jesus talked about uh, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Do you guys remember what he was talking about when he said that? There's a certain group of people. Kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It's a group of people that the disciples were trying to keep away from him. He says, bring them to me. Children. Like Joshua, who is out. Isn't that encouraging? If we like to sleep, he's out. <laughs> the kingdom of God belongs to people like that who sleep. This is fantastic. Right? It belongs to children. Belongs to children. And, and I think there's a lot for us to understand about that. But I think one thing that tangentially helps us with this text and this idea of praise and celebration, I want you to think about how children celebrate. I want you to think about how children rejoice. 
Because there, there is no sense of how am I looking right now? There's no sense. When they see something that they delight in, they don't, they don't care what you're going to say. They say, I like this. I'm going to celebrate this. Now, they may celebrate in all sorts of strange ways, but let's just take the main idea. They do not care what they look like because they are enamored by the greatness of that thing. Whether it's a fire truck, whether it's a fire, right, whether it's whatever, right? <laughs> they don't, it doesn't even have to be a great thing. It's a China Cheerio on the floor that they can eat. There's a celebrate, there's this sense of celebration. And I think there is something for us to this idea that Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. If you do not, if you do not receive me like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. I think part of that is, is, is obviously is faith, but I think part of that helps us to understand how we respond to the good news of Jesus. Good news stirs up great praise. I remember reading from a, a rabbi who, who uh, recently took over, he took, takes over a synagogue. He's talking about kind of the, the, uh, the, the climate of worship there. And, and he writes this. He says, he said, no, no one would, he, would, he would sing up front. And he was like, man, like, it's like there's no one in here. We look back and it's like, oh, there's a lot of people in here. And their mouths are moving, but they're not saying anything. And so he's like, all right, well, we're going to get better music and music. He did all this stuff. And he's like, you're still not singing. And so he was like, man, what, what, what is, what is there, what's missing? Uh, and then they had some kids in. And, and he, he writes this, he says, the contrast between the adult's cool stiffness and the children's joyful noise was the encouragement we needed. The children stepped onto the path of song they had let go. The, the adults, on the other hand, had responded to the same invitation by tightening their throats, battening down their emotional hatches, and sitting silently. And it's this, it's this, if we're not awed by what God has done, or if we're obsessed with, how, how do I look? Then, then we won't respond with what God deserves. Praise, celebration, worship. I want to give us two things about praise that hopefully will not just be, hey, we should do this, but actually will stir our hearts even more that say, I, I want to praise God. Not just here, but with my whole life. What do you think about this? Praise is backwards and forwards. Can you say that? Praise is backwards and forwards. Israel right now, what, what are they looking on? What is the reason for their praise? It's, it's something that had just happened. They are looking back and they're seeing this massive act of God's redemption that he has just done in the past, and that is leading them to praise in the moment. Praises, praise comes from looking at what God has done and looking at who he is. Praise also is forward-oriented. There's a sense where they are actually looking at God will do in the future, and they're praising him in the present, even though it hasn't happened yet. And so praise is backwards and forwards, right? Praise really comes, if you want to be, if you want to praise God, if, if this is like, man, I want to rejoice in, in, in what God has done and who he is, because that's actually going to fill me with joy. That's, praise actually puts your problems in perspective. That's going to give me a whole new outlook on life. Instead of feeling overwhelmed by everything, I'll still feel overwhelmed, but I'll remember that God is with me because I'm praising him, right? If you want to grow in praise, you have to look backward at what Christ has done. You have to look at the cross. The cross is the reason we praise. The resurrection is the reason we praise. Look at what Jesus has done for us. When we deserve condemnation, we get grace. So we look backwards to praise. That's how praise comes. But we also look forward. We have a reason to praise that has not happened yet. Think about the text. Look at verses 13 and 17. 
People of Israel are journeying out, but look at what they do. Look at what they say. 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by strength to your holy abode. 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. They're talking about dwelling with God. They're talking about God setting up his presence among them, which has not happened at this point in the narrative, but they know that this is what God will do. So they're looking into the future and seeing the promise of God, which leads them to praise in the present. This has huge implications for us. They're not in the promised land yet. Detours are coming, but they are praising based on promise because they have seen that God is faithful to save. This is praise in advance. This is celebration in advance based on God's track record. This means there are reasons for you to praise God that have not even happened yet. But you can praise him now. There are promises in Scripture about what God will do for his people that are reason to praise right now. Do you see how this will actually help you through trials? This will actually help you through problems? We look forward to his promise and we praise in advance this, this dwelling, this abode. This is, this is a glorious thing. If you've ever gotten sick of death, decay, evil, brokenness in the world, that's really what this is pointing us to. We look big picture that God one day is actually going to dwell with humanity and rid the world of evil and brokenness. That is reason to praise right now, even though that's coming in the future through Christ. His kingdom is coming, so we praise now. Nothing can separate us from the love of of, of God and Christ Jesus, our Savior, so we praise now. Evil will be banished, so we praise now. Death has been defeated, and the effects will be rendered into the present, in the future, so we praise now. The promises of God are so great, you actually do not have to wait for them to come in order to praise. That's how significant God is. That's how big the gospel is. You can praise the benefits of it and praise the one who has done it even before we completely have it. That changes a lot. I want you to think about, think about it like this. Through what Christ has done in faith in him, just as the people of Israel are on a journey to be with God, to dwell with him in his land, in his place, and draw near to him through the temple, through the tabernacle, right? In the same way, God is working a plan so that humanity will dwell with him. God is working a plan of redemption through the gospel so that one day you will see Jesus Christ face to face. So that one day you will speak with your Savior. You'll see the, you'll see the facial expressions. You'll, see, you'll, hear the, you'll hear the inflection in his voice as he speaks about his love for you. You'll see his body language. You'll feast with him. You'll be with the people of God in a renewed heaven and renewed earth, a physical existence with a, with a body that's freed from the decay of sin. That is reason to praise now. One day through Jesus, you'll be freed from sin. Those habits you can't shake, those struggles that you despise, that shame that you carry, you'll be freed from it through the work of Jesus. That is reason to praise now. So praise is forward and backwards. And praise puts your problems in proper perspective. It's it's really hard for me to worry about what someone thinks of me when I'm praising God throughout my day, remembering that God absolutely delights in me and is riveted by me. Praise puts our problems in perspective. 
Another reason we praise, we look at verse 11 through 13, there's really no one like God. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? They, they shout, they scream. You can imagine a call and, re- call and response. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? No one, right? Just imagine like, they're just, they're going wild. Yeah, way. Yeah, like they're just going, they're just rejoicing. They, imagine, like imagine how we celebrate. This is, they are celebrating, right? Think about Jewish, like they, they know how to celebrate. They are celebrating the work of God to save them and deliver them, right? Because there's no one like God. There's, there's no one like him. There's no one. Think of what God has done for us. Think of what God has done for you. All that he has sacrificed for you. More than, his, more than your parents, more than your friends, more than culture, more than society. Who, who, who would go to the lengths that God has gone for you? Christ leaves heaven for you. Christ dies for you. Christ raises for you. Christ takes on flesh for you. Think of what Christ has done for us. There's no one like him. There's no one like God who is holy and gracious, so holy he will not let our sin go under the rug, so gracious he will not put the penalty of our sin upon us, but puts it upon himself in his son. There is no one like him. And so we rejoice. When you encounter uniqueness and glory, you, you celebrate it, you, you speak about it, you, you sing to it, you, you rejoice. There's no one like our God. So we, so we praise him, we dance, we, we celebrate, we, we worship, we, we exalt him. See, who, Israel understands this. They understand that no one could save them. Who, who's going to beat the world power? Who, who's going to beat an army of chariots and, and military power that they could roll out anything? Who, who, who would do that? Who, who could do that? They, they couldn't do it. No other God could do it. But the Lord did it. I mean, this is the underdog story of underdog story. This is the Lord coming through for his people in a way that if this doesn't happen, there's literally no hope for them. They have, they have no chance. There's nothing. Right? Is, is this not, does this not parallel Christ, what, what he has done, that, that apart from his grace, there, there's no hope for us to be, to be restored to God. Our, our goodness can't do it. There, there's not another means of, of, of attaining that can do it. It's, it's Christ alone, but he's done it. So we rejoice, we celebrate. So, so here's what I want you to think about, is that God is worthy of our worship, and I want you to, to think about this, to, to celebrate and rejoice, not because you're this type of outgoing part. It's because of Jesus. It's because of what he's done. I want you to think and look backwards, right? They're singing the song of Moses. They're, they're singing this song of celebration, right? But, but you have a song to sing too. I want you to think of your song. Think of, look backwards on your life and think of every step in place where God has been faithful to you. Every step and moment in place where God has been gracious to you. Right? Every blessing in your life, every good thing you have, every mistake that you made that did not end in disaster, every disaster that came but somehow good came out of it that you thought was impossible, every opportunity in your life, all of that is the kindness of God. You have a song of praise to sing with your lips and with your life. That only you can sing it. It's your song. It's not mine. It's not the person next to you. It's your story, your song, your track record of what God has done in your life. Sing your song. Only you can sing it. But then there's a greater song that is our song. This is the the, the song of of the gospel, the song of Christ. This is the song that unites us with people in Tanzania, with people in Beijing, with people in northern Iraq, with people across the centuries. This is the song that unites us. This is the song of what Jesus has done for the nations. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. This is our song that we get to sing. And so we rejoice and we celebrate. And as we sing that song, do you know what happens? As we praise God, as we celebrate, as we worship, do you know what happens? 
You're actually rehearsing the story. You're remembering who you are. You're remembering who God is. Your problems are being put in perspective. And the nations, look, you notice the text, the nations, the cities, our neighbors, our friends, they're overhearing who God is. They're eavesdropping and they're seeing, I've never seen you have joy in trials. I've never seen you celebrate like this. I've never, they're seeing and they're hearing the reverberation of our praise, our celebration, and our song. And it's making them wonder about our God. Who is this God? that sets people free? Who is this God that has mercy to sinners? Who is this God that, that is not just the God of second chances, but is the God of new beginnings? Who is this God? They hear, and they will be drawn near as well. Praise is the only fitting response to what God has done for us in Christ. It's the only fitting response. We sing, they sing the song of Moses. We sing the song of the Lamb given for us, Jesus' sacrifice that has led us out in freedom. May God make us uh, people who, who praise, people who understand grace and praise him because of it. Let's pray. God, we worship you and we thank you for all that you have done. We pray even right now that you would just be bringing to mind uh, our song, our track record of your faithfulness that, that no one else can sing. The way that you've been faithful to us through our mistakes, through our sins, through difficult seasons of our lives, even in, maybe if that's right now in the present, Lord. We pray you would give us perspective and, uh, and spiritual understanding to, to really grasp the riches of grace, to really grasp that how much you delight in us. That through Christ, you're, you're not upset with us, you are, you are not uh, angry with us, but your posture is one of delight. That yes, we displease you, yes, we stray, but, but you are fundamentally for us because of the work of your son, Jesus. Father, would you sink in that, that praise is, is the fitting response to all that you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Would you make us a, a people of praise and celebration because of your greatness and because of what you've done? That we would praise and celebrate not only with our voices, but, but with our lives. That we would put on display your greatness and your grace and that the, the, the nations would hear, that our, that our friends would hear, that, that, that people would, would take notice and that they too would, would taste and see that you are good. We pray this for our good, that our problems will be put in perspective, that we would be people who live with, with a, a, a baseline of, of joy even in difficulty, that, that we would be shaped by the praise that we give, but also, God, that you would receive the, the honor and glory that you deserve. We pray this in Christ's perfect name. Amen.